So um, I want to tell you, as we start a new year with a new series, the first time I ever read the Bible all the way through, I was grown. I was already an adult. I'd grown up in church. I was one of those people who was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, not because I was so righteous, but because my parents were. Um, when I was nine years old, I accepted Christ as my Savior. Like those, those boys that got baptized up there, I was, I was just like that. I was nine, and I waited to make my public profession until summertime because I knew there wasn't a heater in the baptistry, and I wanted, I wanted semi-warm water. Um, but even though I, I'd, been, I'd been raised in church, and, and accepted Christ in an early age, I never read the Bible for myself, not really, not beyond what I heard in sermons and in Sunday school lessons, until I met this girl, okay? And a lot of bad things happened with that, this, that sentence starting that way. Something really good happened to me through that. She, was, she had this long, dark hair, and she had green eyes, and she knew more about the Bible than anybody I knew. Well, okay, there were some preachers and stuff, but she was way more interesting than they were. Um, and she definitely knew more about the Bible than anybody I'd met my age. And I knew if I was going to have a chance, I needed to be in the Word. And so I started reading the Bible. It took me over two years to finish the whole Bible. And I learned a ton. I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know was there. Because if you just rely on your pastor to tell you what the Bible says, he'll never be able to. There's just too much there. No human being can express it all. One of the things I learned as I read the Scriptures, especially when I got to the New Testament, was how different Jesus was than all the preachers I'd ever seen or read or heard about. See, Jesus was different. The, the earthly preachers I knew, they were all good men, and I respect them. I don't mean, mean any disrespect toward them. They helped shape my character. But Basically, the way they preached was they were trying to package Christianity as simply as possible. They wanted to make it seem as easy as possible to follow Christ and to enter His family. They wanted to make it sound like the most logical thing you would ever do. It was going to make your life better. It's not going to be a hard thing at all. Whereas when Jesus offered His invitation to people, it almost, in contrast to what I was raised with, it almost sounded like He was trying to talk people out of it. He would say things like, count the cost. Make sure you're ready. It's not easy. You have to, you have to lay down your life for me. You, you have to be willing to lose your life for my sake. And, and the preachers I grew up with, I'd grown up listening to, and Sunday school teachers would say things like, hey, just all you need to do is just pray the simple prayer, get yourself baptized, go to heaven when you die. But Jesus never said that. It struck me throughout the Gospels, the four Gospels, Jesus never once said, hey, if you want to go to heaven when you die, come and pray this simple prayer and then you'll be on my team. That's not what he said. Instead, he would say, follow me. Follow me. It's not going to be easy, but I'm on a mission to change the world. I'm on, the mission, I'm on a mission to fix what's broken in this world. I've been sent from the Lord. I, I have what it takes. And you can be a part of this. There's room for you on this team. It's not going to be easy. It may be at times the hardest thing you've ever done. It's going to feel like a heavy burden. And you may even lose your life in the process. But it'll be the best decision you've ever made. And the people who would come to him, and they came by the hundreds, the people who came to him and gave their lives over to him, they weren't saying, you know, I've got a pretty good life. I just need somebody to make sure that my eternal soul is taken care of. They weren't saying that. They were saying, up until now, my life has just been about me and it hasn't worked. I'm finally, I finally found someone who I can follow, who's going to make my life something worthwhile, who's going to, who's going to make me part of something 
that really matters. And when I read the Gospels, and I I continue to read the Bible, I mean, it worked, by the way, she married me, but I continued to read the Scriptures after that and continue to this day. And every time I read about those people who first followed Christ, I feel a sense of conviction because I know that I don't, I'm not as committed to Christ as they were. And I'm just speaking for me. I don't want to project my feelings onto you. But if you're anything like me, then the state of Christianity today is this. Our basic attitude toward Christ far too often is, is not, hey, Lord, I'm here. Use me. It's Okay, Lord, I've got plans and I've got dreams and I've got goals and I've got hopes. And what's the minimum daily requirement of obedience that you expect from me in order for you to get on board with my plans? You know, what what do I have to do? What's the least that I can get away with so that you'll support me and, and give me what I want? Does that resonate with anybody? Anybody else identify with that? You don't have to say amen. Just And the more I read the Scriptures, the more I realize we're made for more than that. That's not the Christian life. We're made for more. We're made for more than grasping for the pleasures of this world as pitiful as they are. Like hobos scrambling for the dollars that a mob boss throws out the window of his limo. We're made for more than a lifestyle that's summed up with, yeah, I'm a Christian, that means I go to church on Sundays. And that's about it. Unless, unless I'm really tired, or unless somebody there made me mad, or unless I've got a lot to do, or it's a nice day outside. We're made for more. More than consistently hurting the people we should love the most and letting the people who we don't like steal all our joy. We're made for more than a life that too often feels empty and purposeless and far too short. We're made for more than that. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundant. It's supposed to be spilling over the top. Life that just flows out of us and splashes onto other people. And that's what I think Psalm 139 is telling us. It's telling us we were made for more. Now, this is one of my favorite psalms in the entire Psalter. You'll look through all 150. This will probably be one of your favorite. If you haven't read it before, it starts with these words. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Skipping down to verse 4, it says, Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. That's a humbling thought, that God knows what you're going to say before you even say it. And how many times is God up there saying, no, don't say that. But what David is showing us here, because this is a psalm written by David, like so many of the psalms were, who later became king of Israel. I suspect he wrote this when he was still just a shepherd boy. But a man who I think we can all agree if we studied his life, if we study what the Bible talks about, it says about him, he knew God better than us. And he's describing to us a God who is incredibly fascinated with you and me. He pays attention to us every single day and knows our thoughts, knows our words, knows our dreams, knows our hopes and our fears and our sorrows. That's an amazing thought right there, that someone pays that kind of attention to you, much less the God of the universe. But it gets better. Verse 14, I'm sorry, verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. You knit me together. 
See, this verse reminds me of a good friend of mine. Uh, she was born into a family where her dad had already left. I mean, she, she basically grew up without a dad. And when she became a Christian and she got hold of Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, it changed her life because what it told her was, I am not an accident. I'm not a mistake. I'm not just some fatherless child. I am, I am someone. I matter. My God knit me together in my mother's womb. He created me purposefully. And that just gave her new life. It, it let her know, I have a father, a true father, who won't abandon me. And that woman uh, went on to have a very successful career in, in a well-known corporation. And she was not just a woman, she was a black woman, which meant that back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, when she was in her career, I'm sure she took a lot of abuse and, and had to put up with a lot of nonsense. And yet, when I met her and she's retired, she wasn't she didn't talk about any of that stuff. She wasn't bitter. She had more joy than anybody you'd ever want to meet. She sang in the choir. She mentored kids at an at a elementary school. She was involved in ministry, and she was just a joyful person. She was also a Houston Cougar, and that didn't hurt. But um, great person because she lived a life of purpose, because she knew who she was in Christ. And I suspect, I don't know, but I suspect there's a lot of people who need who need what verses 13 and 14 say. It's not the focus of what we're talking about, but I guarantee there's a lot of people in this room who don't like who they are and who need to realize no matter what you think you see in the mirror, no matter what others have told you about yourself, God made you intentionally and He didn't make a mistake. He made you the way He wanted you to be. That doesn't mean He doesn't want to change you and grow you but you're not a mistake. You're not an accidental jumble of DNA. You are an important child of God. But why did He spend so much time on us? I mean, there's 7 billion people on earth today, not to mention the many who've come before. Why would God spend that kind of time on you and on me? Well, verse 15 and 16 tells us, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Verse 16 says, Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now that is an awesome thought. That God is not only meticulously knitting you together while you are in your preborn state, while you're just a, an unborn child, he is handcrafting you. Not only that, but He already knows what's going to happen in your life. That doesn't mean your life is predetermined, your choices are predetermined. No, I believe Scripture teaches we're responsible for our own decisions. But God knows the decisions you'll have to make. He knows the opportunities you will face. He knows the, the, the things that He's set before you. We're going to talk about this more specifically next week. The good works He has planned for you to do. The purpose He created you for. And therefore, He created you for that purpose. He made you for the opportunities He knew you would have. He looked ahead in time and said, there's this person I want her to reach out to, and I'm going to make her the kind of person who can reach her. He's going to need to lead this group. He's going to need to take charge of this organization. I'm going to give Him the tools to do it. She's going to need to mentor this person. She's going to need to encourage that person. She's going to need to develop this new way of helping people. So I'm going to give her the tools to accomplish that. God handcrafted you for a purpose. And I can't fulfill your purpose. And you can't fulfill mine. That's exciting stuff. You were made for a reason. And I'll go further. I believe 
that if you want to live a life that's meaningful, you'll live out the purpose God put you here for. Acts 13.36, Paul is talking about the author of this psalm, David, and he says these words. He says, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. That's what I call a successful life. Not because David became king, because let's face it, there have been a lot of evil, nasty kings, including in Scripture. There were kings that the world would have been better off without them. What was great about David was he served God's purpose in his generation. He did what God created him to do. That's a successful life. Can you say right now, I know I am serving the, God, the purpose of God in my generation. I am fulfilling God's purpose in His mission in the world. That's a successful life. That is what it means to, to go to bed every night and sleep well and to reach the end of your days with joy in your heart knowing I wasn't perfect. I made plenty of mistakes. Thank God for His grace. But I lived a life that mattered. I lived a life that changed eternity. So let's talk about that in real terms, okay? Some of you are teenagers here. If you're a teenager, you may be thinking to yourself, I'm nobody unless I have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, unless I make first string on my team, unless I make first chair in band, unless this group accepts me, unless I get into a good college, unless I'm successful. You know, I've raised one teenager and I've got another just beginning the teenage years. And so I know that it's never been harder to be a teenager than it is right now. And I realize teenagers today, their great-grandparents survived a depression and fought World War II, and, and they're the greatest generation. But this generation faces pressures that even my generation didn't. And, and there's this sense that the fun is to be had in this place apart from God's plan. Yeah, God's good. Even Christian teenagers go through this. God is good, and I'm glad He loves me, and someday I'll serve Him with all my heart, but, but right now, I need to experience these things. And don't make that mistake. Don't make the mistake of thinking that somewhere outside of God's plan is where you need to be, or that something more than what Scriptures say is what's most meaningful. Start your life off right. As you enter into adulthood, start serving Him now. Your friends and your friends' families need that need to see a difference in you. Some of you are young adults and, and you're facing pressures of your own. I remember that. It wasn't so long ago. It wasn't so long ago that we were th saying things like, well, if I'm going to be happy, I need to be making enough money to afford the lifestyle I desire. I need to buy this kind of house. I need to drive this kind of car. I need to be able to wear these kinds of clothes. Some of you are, are sitting there thinking, yeah, but I'm single and I've got to have a spouse. I can't be happy with, without the right person. Some of you are thinking, oh, I'm married and I can't be happy until that person becomes the right person. Some of you are thinking, I, I need to make sure that my kids are happy and successful and well-adjusted. i got to get them in the right schools. they got to make good grades. they got to be on the right teams. they got to know how to throw a curveball. they got to be able to dance. they got to be able to do all this kind of stuff. It validates me when they're successful. And the world tells us all kinds of stuff about what we're supposed to look like and, and what a successful life looks like. And I'm just here to tell you, it's not real. Even if you can grasp all of those things, it won't fulfill you. And then some of you are in your middle years, like me. And the middle years, I mean, we make jokes about midlife crises, don't we? And that's the time when, when the guy grows a long ponytail and, and buys a, a convertible Corvette and starts flirting with women half his age. And maybe that happens sometimes, but not 
to me and not to most of the middle-aged guys I know or any of the middle-aged guys I know. But I'll tell you, this midlife crisis thing is real because I've experienced it. And it's not just men, it's women too. And what it really is like, hear me now if you're young, because it's coming for you. Got something to look forward to, okay? It's reaching a point in your life where you say, okay, my youth is gone, and what do I have to show for this? The best part of life is over. I'm just going to get old after this. It's all downhill from here, and I don't have anything. Oh, sure, I've got a wife and I've got kids, but I'm not a good, I'm not the parent I want to be. I'm not the spouse I want to be, and I don't think I'm getting any better. It's basically a long section of time where you feel sorry for yourself. And that's a tragedy. I've been through it. Don't make the mistake of getting to your middle years and thinking that's what life is all about. Because you can make some serious mistakes. You can throw away everything God has given you. Or even if you don't, even if your spouse and your kids are patient enough with you to put up with it, you can still waste years of your life, good years, in self-pity. And then a lot of us in this room, I say us, I'm not there yet, I hope to be someday, but a lot of people are in that post-retirement phase. That's a good time. And yet you don't feel like it's good. You're sitting there saying, yeah, but I, I just, I don't see my grandkids often enough. They've moved away. I need to get where I can see them more often. They, they, if they live nearby, they're too active and stuff. I, I, my body isn't the way I want it to be. I, I wish I could get healthy again and I could do the stuff I want to do. I've got all these places I want to go, things I want to experience. I got this bucket list I've got to complete before I get too old. And again, none of what I've mentioned is bad. None of what I've mentioned is evil. But all of it can steer you away from your purpose because none of what I just mentioned is why you were created. You were made for more than that. And when you start living out your purpose in life, you're better able to enjoy those things when they come. You're better able to be a good husband or wife if you're married, to be a good parent or grandparent if you have kids. You're better able to serve and work and, be, and accomplish things that matter when you put first things first. When you say, Lord, I want to serve you. Set aside all my hopes and dreams. You give them to me if you wish, but what I really care about, what I'm really hoping for, is a life that counts for eternity. Show me why you made me. There's a story some of you know about a guy named Jim Elliott. Back during the 1950s, he was a college student. Brilliant, brilliant guy. Highly literate, very, very articulate, dynamic. Could have been a writer, could have been a teacher, could have been a politician, could have done any number of things. But he felt called to go to the mission field. And not just to the mission field. He felt called to go to a, a tribe, the Aka tribe in Ecuador that literally lived a Stone Age existence. They had no contact with the outside world deep inside one of those rainforests. They'd never heard the name of Christ before. So he and a group of young idealistic believers in Christ flew into this area and began to take the gospel to the Aka, and the Aka killed them. The tribe they went to reach killed them all. Shortly afterwards, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and the mother or, or the, the sister of one of the other men and, and several other family members went down there, not for vengeance, but to complete the task. And they shared the gospel. And those people who had killed their family members now became believers in Christ. Some of those men had been the very ones who speared them to death, and now they were believers in Jesus and calling them brother. 
And it became this fantastic story. If you haven't heard about it, go look it up. Look up Jim Elliott on Wikipedia. Look it up wherever. Read more about the story. It, it became known worldwide. But one of the things that came out of that story was Jim Elliott's journals were published. And they've inspired millions of people since. And one of the things he wrote long before he ever knew he'd be famous, he wrote this sentence. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let that tumble around in your brain for a while. Because I'm not, please hear me, I'm not saying that if you want to live a purposeful life, you need to die on the mission field. Aren't you glad? I am saying that so much of what we think is absolutely necessary for our happiness is stuff we can lose. So much of what we pour our heart and our soul and our effort and our prayers into is stuff we're going to lose anyway. Because if, if God has made you financially successful, hallelujah. If God has given you good looks, good for you. If God has given you a great family, enjoy them. But all of that stuff's going to go away. Your kids are going to grow up. They're going to leave the nest. Some of you are like, hallelujah, right? But even if you build the perfect family, it won't always be there. Your money will go away. If you don't manage to lose it, you will leave it to someone who will waste it. I promise you that. Your perfect body is not going to last. You can pound all the protein bars and do all the push-ups you want. And someday you're either going to be pushing a walker or in the ground. That's just the truth. Don't give your life to what you're going to lose someday. But the glory of God, helping people in His name, bringing people to saving knowledge of the One who died for them, when your life is based on those things, when you say, I'm not a preacher, I'm not an author, I'm not a singer, but I can do this for Him, those things never go away. Give your life to what you cannot lose, then you've got a real life. I think that's what Jesus meant when He said, He who... who wants to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake will save it. What we're going to be talking about all this year is just that. Equipping you for God's purpose. Equipping you for your purpose in God's mission. God is on mission in this world. Jesus ascended into heaven, but his mission didn't stop. The mission he launched 2,000 years ago is continuing. The kingdom of God is here. The world is being changed soul by soul, and we get to participate in that. And you have a part to play. And I'm, I'm starting this, this year with this, this series, Life on Purpose, because I want you to see what the Scriptures actually say about how to find why I'm here, why I exist, what I'm called to do. My goal, my prayer is that through the course of this year, every one of us will have this sense of, now I know why God made me. Now I know what I'm here to do. And every morning we'll wake up with a sense of purpose and a job to do that we enjoy. It's not just sermons, by the way. I love preaching, but that's not all. Uh, we have a series of events coming up starting in February. The dates are in your worship guide. It's called The Missional Pathway. It's going to be led by a member of our church named Kirk Mackey. He's part of a group called Church Resource Ministries, and he's going to lead us in these four events. Write these dates down because you need to be there. Find, find somebody to sit your kids for you. We, we need you there because we're going to talk about helping you discover what am I good at? What is my calling? What is my passion? 
How can I use that for God's glory? Then later on in the fall, the two events that happen in the fall, it's going to be more of a church-based thing of, okay, based on what we all know about our own purpose and what we know about our city and our community and its needs, what kind of impact can we make? How can we increase the significance of our church, the blessing our church can be to our city? I'm excited about this. And there's going to be a lot more to come, but for now, let me just challenge you to pray something like this. Just, Just pray, Lord... I've got lots of things I want, but what I want more than anything is for you to lead me into my purpose. And even if you never give me anything else I ask for, give me this. Help me to know my purpose and to do what you put me here to do. Pray that consistently. Pray that because that's the life we all want, the life we were created for. And I've got good news for you. Please hear me. Your eternal destiny does not depend on whether you get done all the things that God created you to do. It's not like God's got this big checklist in the sky, this big to-do list, and if you get up there and you haven't completed at least 70% of them, you're out. Aren't you glad it doesn't work that way? It's not about what you and I do. It's about what He's already done. Because here's the good news. Literally, the gospel means good news. The gospel says that Jesus lived the life you and I should have lived, a life of perfection, And then he died the death that we deserve to die. A death for sin. And that means all of us can come into his family just as we are. He won't leave us that way, but just as we are. And now some of you in this room, I look out and I could name you. I could could call you out in front of this whole church. I don't want to embarrass you, so I won't. But some of you I know, you're living out your purpose because I can see it. I can see the difference you're making and it it inspires me. It makes me excited to be your pastor and your friend, but it also inspires me to live a better life because you're out there serving God. You're, you're working a nine to five. You're, you're ministering to your family and leading them, but you're also serving God in the world. Keep it up. Some of you would say, I'm a believer in Christ. I know I'm part of his family. I've got no doubt about that, but I've never really thought about it before that there was anything more than You trust Jesus and you go to heaven when you die. I didn't know there was stuff I was supposed to do now. And some of you would say, I can remember when my life was very purposeful. But then life happened and I got drawn drawn aside to all these other cares and concerns. And and I, I want it back. I want to get back to where every day I wake up and know that I've got something important to do for God. And then others of you would say, and I hope there's some like this here this morning, I've never really been a part of something that meant something like this. I believe that Jesus is who He said He was. And I want to be part of His movement. I want to change the world in His power. I want to live the life He created me to live. I want to receive His forgiveness. I want to join His family. If that's your desire, in just a moment, you're going to have that chance. I want us to close with the last words of Psalm 139. These last two verses, verses 23 and 24, If you don't remember anything else about this psalm, memorize these two verses because I tell you what, when you don't know what to pray, this is a good thing to pray. You ready? It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way that is everlasting.